This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we thank You tonight for uh, blessing us. Thank You for this time of fellowship and thank You for this time of study. Lord, we do pray for all of those on our prayer list and for others that are on our minds and hearts. And as always, ask for your grace, your intervening grace. For those who need salvation, we pray that you would soften their hearts. Give us wisdom in speaking the right words. Lord, for those who need a physical healing, comfort, Lord, again, we pray for Your intervention and ask for Your wisdom in serving them in whatever way You would have us to. We thank You for Your Word. We ask Your blessing on this this message, the delivery of it and in the hearing of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy one. Good evening. Come on in. <laughs> Make yourself at home. <clears throat> All right. Anybody feel like they've been in a battle today? A war? <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. But uh, whether or not you feel like it, uh, we're in one. We're in one. I'm going to start reading in verse 18 and just read these few verses here through the end of the chapter. 1 Timothy 1.18 This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay, verse 18, Paul starts out by reminding Timothy, about the charge, he says, this charge I commit to you. Uh, notice he says, son, Timothy, I think, uh, or, you know, it's obvious that uh, uh, they had a uh, close relationship. As Paul discipled Timothy, uh, continues to hear instructing. And he says, this charge I commit to you. Now, I'm going to give you a couple options here. I think probably he's referring back to the charge that we've been talking about uh, uh, in most of uh, these weeks that we've been going through here. If you look back in in verse uh, 3, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. 
And then he says in verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love. But it's, it's the same word in verse 3 and verse 5. It's just translated differently. Charge, commandment. And then in the New King James, it's translated charge again in verse 18. But it's the same word. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. So he's probably referring to the charge that he was speaking of in verse 3 and in verse 5. You are to charge some that they teach no other doctrine or no different doctrine. That is, other than what Paul describes as the gospel of the glory of God in verse 11. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God. You're to charge others that they teach no other doctrine. The purpose of the charge, verse 5, is love from a pure heart, good conscience, from sincere faith. So, uh, there are some who are teaching different doctrines, other doctrines who are, who are not, uh, not sincere in the faith. That is, they're perverting the truth. And uh, Paul says the, the end of this charge, that is, the, the charge that, that, to stop them, is love. Love. That's always the basis. I mean, it may, some of these things may sound uh, hard, uh, charging, commanding some not to speak any other doctrine. Or certainly, verse 20, he says, uh, because they would not stop, Hymenaeus and Alexander, he says, I delivered them to Satan that they may not blaspheme or that they may learn not to blaspheme. But the motivation for the correction is always love. Love, Paul says, from, from a pure heart, good conscience, from sincere faith. The other option is this, that maybe now he's thinking of another charge that he begins to talk about here. As he begins to lay out his instruction, maybe he's just using the same word, to describe what he says, for example, uh, here in verse 18, I, I charge, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, charging you to wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected uh, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. And, and then, of course, that's not the end, of the, that's the end of the chapter, but that's not the end of his instruction. He goes on to instruction on prayer and, and, uh, and, and several things and through the rest of the book. So he, he may have that in mind. I charge you to wage the good warfare. This charge I commit to you, wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. Or maybe just kind of all of the above. Maybe this is just further description of what he was getting at back in verses 3 and verse 5. I charge you that you, or I urge you, he says, that you charge some that they teach no other doctrine. The purpose of the charge is this. It's love from a pure heart. So, therefore, wage the good warfare. He's saying, do what I'm urging you to do. Wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. So that's, that's the charge. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And be faithful in doing this. Wage the good warfare. Now, Paul uses uh, the analogy of war here, and, and, he, and he does this 
Uh, it's not the only place. He does this in other places. And that's why I asked earlier if you felt like you've been in a, a war today. Because he, is, he uses this kind of uh, language to remind us that we are, to remind Timothy that there is a war going on, a real fight. We're engaged in a war as Christians. Uh, we don't we don't take up uh, weapons. <laughs> we don't we don't uh, we don't shoot at people. We don't you know take up swords and knives and all that kind of thing. But we're we're are we are in a war, nonetheless. A real war. And Paul says to Timothy, wage the good warfare. As Christians, we're in a war, and there is more at stake than, and I'm, I'm of course, thinking of it here from, a, from an American perspective, obviously, but there, there is more at stake than the American culture. And the reason I say that is because you, you may hear the phrase, culture war. Culture war. And I think uh, that war is worth paying attention to. It's worth keeping up with, to some extent. Um, there are things going on in our culture, major shifts taking place. And the reason they, obviously, the reason they call it a war is because you've got some on one side wanting the culture to move this way or, or move back maybe to where it was or whatever at one time. And you've got others on the other side wanting culture to move a different direction, and so there's this there's this war going on, uh, taking place that we call the culture war. Well, I do think that's important. I think it's worth watching. I think there are a lot of implications there for Christians, and we have a major role in it. But chiefly speaking, our concern is not. American culture. Because I can assure you, if, if the Lord carries, this culture will be history. At some point. That may sound like a uh, pessimistic, negative thing to say, but actually it's just uh, easy to know from looking at history. You, you can't point at any people anywhere, uh, however great or small throughout history, that uh, you know, haven't undergone changes, and usually major changes. We're not an exemption to the rule. Given enough time, uh, there, there's going to be major shifts. For the Christian, our main concern is not the culture war, although it's related in some ways. Our war is focused on the individuals themselves. Well, I mean, two things here. It's a battle for the minds. Now, in that sense, it's similar to the culture war, isn't it? You have people today, for example, you could take a group like those who are fighting for homosexual rights, quote-unquote, or abortion rights, quote-unquote, and they're trying to move the culture to think like they think. And then those of us who are uh, 
coming from a biblical perspective. Uh, we're trying to convince people that, no, abortion is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Uh, divorce is wrong. Whatever the case is. Whatever um, the issue might be. So there's a, there's a war going on there for the minds. In that sense, it's similar. Because this, this is where the battle is fought in Christianity as well. It, it's a battle for the minds. And it's a battle for, and I think this is what uh, specifically Paul is looking at here, it's a battle for the purity of the church. The, the war that we're engaged in is a battle for the purity of the church. Again, verse 3, he says to Timothy, who is a pastor at Ephesus, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul is saying, you put a stop to the false doctrine at Ephesus. This, this is what I'm commissioning you to do. This is what I'm, I'm urging, is the word he uses in verse 3. It's what I'm urging you to do. Put a stop to the heresy. The different doctrine. The doctrine that is contrary, or the teaching, the word doctrine just means teaching. The teaching that is contrary to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Which is summed up in verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then, of course, uh, Paul expounds uh, on... uh, Practical aspects of that in the rest of this book. So he's, he's urging Timothy to wage this battle faithfully. Because what's at stake, again, is the purity of the church. And individually what's at stake is, is each individual soul. You've got false teachers coming into the church, bringing false teaching, doing much damage. In fact, Paul says of uh, Hymenaeus that uh, he has uh, overthrown the faith of some by teaching that the resurrection had already occurred. That's uh, 2 Timothy 2.17. Their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus, there he mentions uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, rather than, instead of Alexander, are of this sort. And this, this is the danger, that they, they would come in, the false teachers would come in and overthrow the faith of some and do damage. So, so we're engaged in a war. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul calls it good warfare. Good warfare. Now, I don't think he's saying that uh, war itself is 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 a is a good thing. Not not even not even really in this sense. I mean, it would be it would seem best, wouldn't it, if it if it didn't have to happen? If, if nobody rebelled against God, and everybody was just uh, living their life in submission. To God, but that's not reality. We live in a Genesis three world, fallen human beings, fallen 
minds, corrupt thinking, perverted thinking about God, perverted ideas about God. So this, the battle is necessary. And it's good in that sense that it's necessary, it must be done. Our, uh, our, our president, uh, I don't know, a couple months back, made the statement that war is sometimes necessary. Uh, you know, much to the chagrin of some of those that put him in office, helped put him in office, because they didn't want to hear that. <laughs> but, but, but he's right. Sometimes it's necessary. So in that sense... It's a good warfare. It has it has a uh, a good goal. The war itself's not pleasant. I think it was Robert E. Lee that said uh, it's it's good that war is so terrible, or else we should grow too fond of it. War itself is terrible, but but uh, the end that you're trying to achieve. Uh, Hopefully is good, and in this case it is. And it's again a battle for the minds. Now, Second Corinthians ten three through six, Paul says this: For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So here's a good description of the kind of battle that we're engaged in, the kind of battle that that he is uh, exhorting Timothy to uh, engage in faithfully. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, or just, you know, fleshly. They're not fleshly. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And you see, see the language that he's using? Uh, language of warfare. You, you, you gives you a vis- visual picture of a, of a battle going on. Somebody trying to conquer a, a stronghold, a fortress. Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Well, how would you, how would you apply this to the Christian life? What are the strongholds that, that Paul is saying to the Corinthian church? We are making an effort to destroy. What are the strongholds? What are the strongholds that Paul is instructing Timothy here to faithfully fight against. Now, I'm still in 2 Corinthians uh, 10 here. He goes on for the, in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Well, there's, there's the strongholds. The strongholds are wrong thinking. It's the, the other doctrine, the different teaching that Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy. Anything that is contrary to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. So, for example, when you're when you're uh, in the world, you, you you go to work or you go to school or or uh, Wally World or whatever it is, 
and you encounter somebody that just just has a uh, a confused idea about God, about faith, about Jesus, anything like that. They're they're just confused. Their thinking is wrong. You know, it, it could be that they have some. Uh, basically idolatry. They have some fault. Maybe they claim to be a Christian, but they've got a totally false concept of Christianity. That's probably the case with these guys that uh, that Timothy is dealing with. They 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 were professing Christians, but they're perverting the truth. Or it could be, in our case, it could be uh, somebody that denies the truth totally. Denies that there is a God. Denies that. Jesus is the Christ or, or anything. They, any form of wrong thinking about God. It's, it's a stronghold up here in their mind. It's, it's, a, it's a wrong idea. Paul says, The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into submission to Christ. So it's a battle for the minds. The the warfare that we're engaged in is a battle for the hearts and minds of people. Ephesians 6.12, Paul says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's, that's, that's something to think about, isn't it? That's, that's who we, we wrestle with. We don't... We don't Again, our weapons are not carnal, they're not fleshly, so we're not taking up guns and knives and attacking people. We're not wrestling with people. He's making that clear. Even though we walk in the flesh, 2 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 3, even though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Or Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we don't take up arms. What do we do? We attack the real strongholds, the wrong ideas, error, untruth. How do we do that? Well, by preaching the truth and doing exactly what Paul's been doing here in, in chapter 1. Immediately, uh, as he tells Timothy, now, here, here's the charge that I'm giving you that that you charge some not to teach any different doctrine. And then he himself goes into talking about the grace of God, the truth, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, or the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And in verse 16, Paul says, For this reason 
I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering, or uh, ESV says perfect patience. He's saying Christ saved me that He might display His perfect patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Paul is saying this, this is the true gospel. It's a summation of it. Now, obviously, there's much more. And like I said, as, as we go through the book, he, he lays out more and more uh, instruction and in how these things play out practically in the church. But at the heart of all of it is truth, a commitment to the truth. That's why he can talk about a good conscience. Good conscience before God. Because when, when you're committed to the truth, it's, it's living in obedience to God, in submission to the will of God, and therefore your conscience is clear. So this charge, verse 18, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, let me say something here quickly. Um, Let's see. He mentions prophecies made uh, concerning Timothy. And if you look over in chapter 4, verse 14, he, he makes mention again here. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So in verse uh, 18 of chapter 1, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. He's, put, he's reminding him of, of things that were uh, prophetic things that were said concerning him and evidently concerning him and his ministry. And then makes mention of it again here in 4.14. Don't neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So probably Paul and other uh, elders laid hands on Timothy. Uh, prophecies were given regarding his ministry. And uh, this, this, this thought kind of always comes up. We were talking about this in Sunday school recently, except in a different context. But we're, for example, um, if you, if God knows everything, and we believe that He does, then why pray? Or if there, and I think this is the context we were we were raising this question, if God elects a certain number of people to be saved then why go preach the gospel? Why does Paul say, I suffer all these things for the elect's sake? Aren't, aren't they going to be saved anyway? <laughs> and it's, it's somewhat similar here. 
if prophecies were made, genuine prophecies were made concerning Timothy, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, whatever it was, we don't know the specifics. But Paul is, they're important here. They come into play here because, or else Paul wouldn't remind him. But if specific prophecies were made concerning Timothy, then why is Paul concerned enough to give Timothy all this instruction? Why, do, why doesn't he just say, wait a minute, these, these things were prophesied by men of God. Timothy is going to fulfill his ministry just as God planned. Why does he feel it necessary to exhort Timothy to remember these things and to not neglect the gift that is in him? Well, it's that, it's, it's that old tension of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. We, we are always supposed to be doing what, what we're told to do, like preaching the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Even though we can't save one person, it's God who saves. All right? So you've always got this tension, responsibility of man, sovereignty of God. Certainly the prophecies are going to come true. Nevertheless, Tim, uh, Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is in you. Remember the prophecies that were given concerning you. And by them, back to verse 18, by them, that is, by those things that you were told, by those prophecies, words from God about you, about your ministry, about the gifting God has given you, by them, wage the good warfare. So, all those things are used as, as, a, as a means of accomplishing God's end. And they're used as a means of encouragement for Timothy. Now, you might say, well, you know, um, nobody ever gave any prophecies over me or concerning me. Well, um, but we have the Word of God. Here. So, we, we do what Paul's telling Timothy to do. We go back to it, and we go back to it, and we look at it, and we learn from it. And by it, we wage the good warfare. By God's spoken Word. The truth that He has given us. So, the war is a battle between error and and truth, and truth is not only what we're fighting for and guarding, it's what we're fighting with. It's, it's our weapon. Truth. Our truth. So, so we don't have to, um, for example, if we want to impact our culture, um, we don't have to take up guns, knives. Uh, we don't. We don't have to march in the streets and all these kinds of things. What What we have to do is preach the truth, preach the truth, and live the truth. Which again, Paul uh, Paul is going to get into that. But we have to. Uh, in fact, I'll say it this way: We have to display the truth to the world, and when need be, we have to counter the error. I mean, verbally, exactly what Paul is telling. Timothy to do. There will be situations arise where we have to counter the error verbally with the truth. And just like Paul tells Timothy, um, 
basically, you put them to silence, which is what he told Titus. So we fight for the truth, and we fight with the truth against error, unhealthy doctrine. So Timothy, he says, wage the good warfare. Somewhat like saying, fight like a man. (laughs) Gird up your loins, fight like a man. Fight the fight, the NASB says, I believe. And that is what Paul says at the end. In fact, he says to Timothy at the end of his own life, I have fought the good fight. It's, it's It's a struggle. In fact, there he, there he uses the word agonize. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Here he says to Timothy, fight the fight. Wage the good warfare having faith and a good conscience. Well, we've talked a lot about faith in Hebrews. It's just trusting God. Trusting God. Trust in, cling to, rely upon God. So fight the good fight, wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. And I think that is what what comes with, with, with the truth. It's what comes with doing right is a good conscience. Peter says that baptism is the answer of a good conscience. Toward God, you've got you've got uh, in in baptism you have our spiritual salvation pictured, and and because now we are right in right standing with God, uh, we're baptized. So baptism is an answer of a good conscience toward God. You're doing right. You're in right relation to Him because of Christ. To wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, without with uh, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. In other words, he's saying this is what they did not do. And their consciences are corrupt. Uh, they didn't have faith. They did, they're not trusting in the true God. They're not teaching the truth. They're teaching error. And then he names Two of them, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now we know, uh, or we can conclude from other passages of Scripture that uh, they were probably uh, there was probably effort made toward their repentance, and they refused. And so uh, Paul says, "I delivered them to Satan, that they may learn not." To blaspheme. Same thing that he tells the Corinthians to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with the man who has committed incest. So, fight the fight. Wage a good warfare for the truth. For the truth, that is, there, there's a sense in which we're defending the truth and by the truth. We fight for the truth and we fight by or with the truth. 
we, we hold forth the truth, as he says over in 3.15. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And the summation of it is this. It's the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. It's salvation by grace. Verse 14. The grace, the grace of our Lord was overflowing with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. The, the truth. Truth is in Christ Jesus. Not found anywhere else. It's in the atoning work of Christ. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. He came to save. There, there's, there's no other means by which you can be saved. This, this is the truth. There's one Savior, Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. John calls Him the Savior of the world. That means He's the only one. One Savior. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners. Come to save righteous people? No, righteous people don't need salvation. Besides, there are no righteous people. <laughs> Not one. Bob told a lie a while ago because I heard him say he was doing good. <laughs> and Paul clearly says there are none that do good. No, not one. <laughs> There's no, no righteous people. We're all in need of a Savior. This is the truth. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Salvation through Jesus Christ for sinners. For rebels. Those, or I could say it this way, for repentant rebels. If you repent and come to Christ, that's the only way of salvation. Bottom line, that's, that's, Paul is, is arguing against any perversion of that. Anything that contradicts that, this gospel, Paul is telling Timothy, put a stop to it. If they're teaching contrary to this gospel, salvation by grace through faith, Paul is telling Timothy, shut them up. Put a stop to it. One way to be saved. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your grace extended to us in the life and death of Your only begotten Son. Sinners by nature. Lord, it means we don't deserve uh, anything but Your wrath. And yet, in Christ, we experience Your grace, Your mercy, Your love. You didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. You came to call sinners to repentance. You came 
to heal not those who are well, but those who are sick. It's all by grace. Lord, we pray, help us hold this truth out for the world to hear and see. As we speak and as we live before them, in Christ's name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304. Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.